HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch beef is 100% grass-fed, free-range, and always antibiotic-free. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit HearstRanch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T Ranch. This week on Meet and 3, we bring you stories about how Gen Z is different from their millennial predecessors through the lens of food. My knowledge of alcohol didn't really come from like Bud Light commercials or like Project X. Yeah, that's my gripe with the platform as well, is that all these DIY videos, cooking videos, they're 20 seconds. What's one food item from your childhood that you wish you could have today? Dunkaroos because they don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Although, the Dunkaroos Twitter was activated again a year ago, so it's only a matter of time. They've tweeted a couple times. It's pretty hype. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's food news and storytelling roundup wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. Hope that everyone out there is staying safe, taking care of themselves, supporting the community, checking in with yourself, checking in with your friends. If you need anything, please do not hesitate to reach out to your loved ones. If you want to support more of the community and food, please go to heritageradionetwork.org. There are a lot of great resources there. So we hope that you just take time to check in and that you're doing okay. We have a great episode today with Philip Krejcik who runs one of our favorite restaurants in Nashville, Rolf and Daughters and Folk. And he gives us some insights into his resilience about how they survived both a hurricane earlier this year and how they're dealing with the pandemic. It's really been a roller coaster of a ride for everyone in Nashville and really everyone in the country. And he gives us some insights on how they're doing and how, how to help yourself and how other restaurants can help get through this tough time. Then we dig deep into the archives, back into December 2016, when Light Asylum visited us in the studio. It's one of our most legendary performances, and we hope that you like it. It's really just some killer music to enjoy on a Sunday, whenever you're listening to this episode. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HRN. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. On the pulse, snacky tunes. 
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking time during your day off to sit down with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for uh, for having me. I'm excited to chat. So 
you know, even though it feels like a lifetime ago, many people may have forgotten or or not even know that um, in early March, Nashville was hit by some severe weather, tornadoes, things like that, and had a deep effect on the restaurant community. But I'd love for you to share a little bit of on the ground insight of what happened then and how those recovery efforts are still going on. Sure. Um, I guess first I'll, I'll tell you about how I found out because uh, Mark Bolton, who's the chef de cuisine of Rolf and Daughters, and I had just finished cooking at an event in Oregon. Um, and we were, you know, out with our, uh, some, some chef friends there uh, eating burgers at Canard and having some wine and, you know, my phone just started blowing up and wow. uh, we started to get, you know, the images of what had happened. Um, and it was shocking. Uh, about a block away from Rolf and Daughters, um, buildings have been, oh no. <laughs> it's okay. You're cooking dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Timers are going off. Um, Timers are going off. So you're getting, you're getting these photos. So I'm getting these photos and they're of buildings that, you know, we drive by every single day um, and they're leveled. And so, you know, the immediate thing is to start checking in with everybody. Sure. Um, you know, checking in with all the managers, checking in with all, all of our team members, um, of course, checking in with my wife uh, first and, and just kind of getting everything organized. Um, and figuring out what was happening. And then we immediately, like we were supposed to spend one more day in Oregon and we just changed our flights and flew straight back. Um, so, you know, folk lost power for a full day, but we were able to get back open very quickly. Um, Rolf and Daughters was without power for six days. So we had to move all of the food out. And fortunately we have a big walk-in cooler at folk. So we were able to to do that internally. And then, you know, we really just kind of focused on ourselves and did damage control. And because we had quite a few employees that were impacted, um, you know, I think five employees lost vehicles, um, three employees lost where they were living. And so, um, you know, we were just trying to help everybody get the support that they needed and the resources to recover and bounce back quickly. The fortunate thing is that no one on our team was um, injured in any way. Um, but, you know, friends of the restaurant um, at the local branch of Attaboy uh, yeah. were killed. Um, a couple. In fact. So sorry. So, um, you know, it, 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 it was definitely a really devastating moment for the community the tornado also selectively kind of went down, if you will, Main Street um, in East Nashville, where all the hubs of activity are and um, really impacted a lot of food and beverage establishments. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the amazing part of this was that the Nashville community really rallied uh, together um, to feed people, to help people collect resources Everyone was out volunteering and really trying to do what they could to contribute to the community. Um, so, yeah. You know, it's absolutely awful and devastating 
to have that type of natural disaster. Um, but I have heard from chefs in Nashville and in the area that in some ways, because of what happened right after with the pandemic and the shelter at home, that there was a bit of a clearer path for those who were affected by the tornadoes because it was clear in their insurance that they could get help from something like that. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, a tornado, albeit uh, a rare occurrence, um, specifically for a restaurant, right? It's sure. very often you hear that kind of a story of a, torna- a tornado destroying a restaurant, but it's a traditional, more traditional thing that is going to be covered by uh, an insurance policy, right? Um, so going through that process is something that's not unfamiliar, right? Uh, whereas a virus um, is not something that you know you plan for or you know was necessarily planned for with our business interruption insurance, um, and you know that is something that's it's going to be years before we really know what the final decision will be in regards to COVID and insurance, because it's going to end up, you know, getting battled out in the courts and probably end up in the Supreme court. Right. hundred percent. So, um, you know, it's different. I mean, I will say this, we, you know, contacted our agent and uh, let him know, we just put them on notice across every policy that we have that something has happened. Right. Not, we don't know what, but something's happened. And, we want to make sure that we've given proper proper notification in the event that the whatever the ruling is down the road, um, you know, is beneficial for us. We've like stuck our toe in the door, if you will. Right. At least you have uh, documentation that while many insurances have carved out viruses as something that they would cover. Yeah. That's where we are right now. Um, but I'm with you. I actually do think it's probably going to go all the way to the top. I know that uh, Naomi Pomeroy um, from Portland has filed, and I think that will probably be either a class action lawsuit or so a bunch of individual cases that you know wind their way up. Right. Because you know, I for one, um, and you're seeing this now with the slow reopening of the economies. Uh, I underestimated how much money independent restaurants really do contribute to the total national economy. Right. And um, more, more so than money, but also, you know, as I mentioned uh, to you before we started, my wife and I came down to Nashville when we were dating because of the food scene, right? There's, there's no, there's no city that I would go to now without the guarantee of a good food scene. Right. And And so now as Tennessee starts to reopen, um, as one of the states that's really, really reopening, but with restaurants still not clear with their path forward, um, what are your thoughts on these relaxations? You know, do you think people will still travel to these cities um, if the restaurants aren't open, or, or well, if you're looking at it just from like a local level, how is it affecting you? There's a lot to unpack there. Um, yeah, sorry that that was a yeah. long-winded so, uh, comment slash question. Um, in regards to the reopening, if you will, or, you know, the laxing of, um, of quarantine, you know, we in Davidson County, which is where, you know, that's the metro area of Nashville, um, we opened up about a week ago. Um, 
and restaurants are allowed to open at 50% with no bar. And, um, you know, a few, quite a few restaurants have chosen to do that. And um, I think, you know, with everything that's that's gone on or been going on and, and the unknowns, we made the decision for ourselves that we weren't ready to do it yet. Um, and we're not exactly sure when um, for multiple reasons, but the primary one being that the safety and security of our staff is very, very important to us. And um, two, it is an economic risk for us to do it because in order to reopen, um, you have to hire people back on. You have to, um, and, it, and it's going to take actually more people than it normally does to service that business. Well, that's that's one part of it. We we you know we've been at uh, both Folk and Rolf and Daughters. We're you know we're doing curbside service, you know delivery services and some other things, um, and that's been able to keep us like you know just at at water level through this. So we're able to employ you know the majority of our cooks in the kitchen, uh, all of our management team. And, um, you know, be able to pay for the health insurance for all of our furloughed employees and to keep feeding them family meal and, and kind of doing all the things that um, we feel are very important to, um, to the team. And so if we were to reopen the dining room, we would have to continue doing those things to be able to um, keep our heads above water, right? And, you know, the, the mental exercise for us of thinking about picking up uh, tables food to, you know, to order, trying to cook it perfectly while simultaneously, you know, navigating, putting food in boxes and serving it to cars is a lot to wrap your brain around. And it's going to take a few extra employees to navigate. Um, and, uh, you know, it just doesn't right now make sense for us to do it. You know, we're, I think it's exposing us um, to greater risk. And then also the potential that we could lose some of that curbside delivery business because people feel that we may have been compromised. Got it. I mean, it's just so much more complicated. And I still think that there's a steep learning curve, both at the, maybe not at the local government level, but at least maybe at the state or federal level of what goes into running an independent restaurant. And uh, even uh, I'll say being industry adjacent, there's so much that I've learned that goes into just running and what it would take to reopen um, and the new policy. And then also, you know, um, because there's no clear guidelines at really any level, um, a lot of it rests on the owner's shoulders, that responsibility of saying like, well, I have your safety in one hand. I also have your livelihood in one hand, you know, for people who are undocumented, um, you know, I have, or people who might be here on certain visas, I have a whole other responsibility of your livelihood in my hand. How do you balance that responsibility? How do you balance that pressure with making decisions? Um, you know, I, I, I think... I've heard this a lot. You know, one of the things that's unique about those of us who are entrepreneurs within the independent restaurant community is, 
you know, there's a certain like energy and excitement that we get from challenge. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, when we're all getting together uh, around the water cooler, you know, uh, as like owners and operators, you talk about, you know, there's the curveballs that you've seen either this week or this month, and they're always new and there's always new challenges. Um, so this is kind of the ultimate version of that, right? So it's forced us to uh, be like really nimble and uh, which is something that we're very fortunate as we're a small company to do. Um, it's forced us to re-examine everything we're doing and think differently and think very quickly. Um, it's forced us to communicate in a different way with our audience. You know, we're really spending a lot more time actually thinking about Instagram. You know, it's not something that like we always did it, but we never premeditated much. And now it's such an important like vehicle for communication. We're writing a newsletter once a week to communicate with our regulars who don't interface with social media as much. And, you know, just every decision is is so important. But we also know that as we're planning and making decisions that the next day we may change our minds or halfway through right. executing, you know, like will change because all of these plans are just like a loose roadmap. And in the moment, you know, you sure. recognize like, oh my God, the system that we spent a ton of time building isn't working and it's making more work than we need. Um, and so, you know, we're just, you know, we're really trying to focus on ourselves. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of ups and downs with this. You know, you, you have some really positive moments with the team where you feel really good about what you're doing. And there's also those moments where, you know, it's been a little slower. Um, you know, th- things don't go your way. The supply chain's been very broken for, for certain items. And you're closing the dish pit, you know, and it's, uh, it's a different reality. So, you know, navigating that and, and you know, the the challenges mentally that it brings for everyone um, as we're not only coping with this professionally, but in our personal lives as well and our separations from families and loved ones, um, you know, it, it's a challenge. So, you know, trying to figure out the best ways constantly to, to do that is our biggest struggle and the thing that we're always staying focused on. Yeah. And I think, for those who are still invested in the independent restaurant scene as customers or fans do have a larger understanding for what's going on right now. I think that, that the fans uh, have more leniency of what they might expect and just know that if their favorite restaurant is to survive, that they're going to have to help and have some, some leniency as well. Right. A hundred percent. And I, I, you know, one of the things that still gets us juiced because we don't have that palpable return on investment of like just the energy of a dining room, you know, like I've always been uh, the person where as a chef, I kind of, you know, I feel a little awkward when someone compliments me. I, I'm not really into that, you know, but I sure. love I love hearing the energy of the room. I love watching people have an amazing time and hearing laughter and like whatever's going on. So when we separate that from what we're doing, um, you know, you remove uh, a strong motivation. 
for us. But at the same time, we're seeing our regulars, you know, several times a week. Yep. Um, we can talk to them through social distance. We're, you know, we're putting groceries and food in their cars and, you know, they're, they're buying vegetables through us and, and doing all those things and, and writing us emails and, and really being supportive of what we're doing. And that um, has been amazing for us. And that kind of, that's a really strong fuel to keep us moving forward. Amazing. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about some of those groceries and then some of the amazing at-home kits that you've put together. Um, We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Philip of Rolf and Daughter and Folk in Nashville. And before the break, you were talking about the supply chain and some of the disruption it's had, but then also how you have um, been providing groceries for some of your customers. And by providing, I mean giving them access. They obviously give you cash for goods and services. But how did you set up this new supply chain? Who are you working with? And is this a way to maybe support some of the people that are not being talked about as much or maybe being talked about in a different light, like the farmers and the actual purveyors of vegetables and meat and things like that? Yeah, at the at the core of both restaurants is uh, produce and vegetables. You know, since day one, we focused on having like really incredible relationships with farmers who are growing specifically for the restaurants and people know and trust that from us. And so as, um, you know, everything shut down, we recognized that our farmers needed an outlet for their product. Um, other than what we were able to just, you know, turn, turn into ready to eat food. Um, so I just started calling all of them um, and, and asking them, like, what do you have a lot of? What, you know, what can you help us help you? You know, do you have 30 bundles of spring onions and 30 bundles of spring garlic? And, you know, what are the logistics that work for you? And we, we talked to everyone, got all the feedback and essentially just programmed three days a week doing somewhat of a CSA pickup um, where we curate a market box of, you know, 12 to 14 items that we're, you know, marking up, not at all. Like we just cover the cost of the box and use it as a channel to help our farmers get their produce out. Um, you know, with it, I'm, I'm trying to write a recipe that, that goes along with all the ingredients that are in it. Um, and it's been insanely well received, both from the farmers who are just crazy excited to have these outlets for their products that have as limited human contact as possible on their end. But then also for the guests who are getting access to, you know, really high quality produce with a really top level of food security, right? Because the farmer's market isn't the same as it used to be. Um, and I think that's the thing that we recognize that we offer is a very high level of food you know, we're professional chefs. Everyone who's involved with the restaurant is there because this is their chosen career path and their passion. So we are already operating at a very high level. And now we've just like tightened up all of our systems. And I think people get that. So, you know, I, I have a farmer who's about an hour away and, you know, near Manchester, Tennessee, you know, and he calls me and he says, I have 60 gallons of strawberries and I, I need to sell them. It's like, oh, killer. You know, we <laughs> no sold in 20 minutes. Oh my God. Um, and, you know, currently we're really, we're trying to figure out how to increase the amount of produce boxes we're doing. Um, mm. You know, just spatially, it, it becomes a challenge because you right. don't design your, your restaurant around, you know, being a retailer. Um, so we're working through that now and hopefully next week we'll be able to offer some more days. And so, you know, with that, like, you could come and let's say on a Sunday afternoon, you pick up your market box, your pre-ordered strawberries, 
flowers from a from another local farmer um, who had always historically done flowers for the restaurant. You can get some of our pantry staples, you know, high quality vinegars and olive oils or yep. you know, great anchovies or some, uh, you know, regional freshly milled flour and um, and also some ready to eat food. So we're really trying to also just from a business perspective, capture as much as possible in the moments of interaction that we have at the same time, maintaining all of our values and ethics and sourcing and, you know, really trying to keep everyone, you know, going. I mean, not to future tell or future guess at what restaurants are going to look like. But I think the last five years of restaurants, 10 years, was a real golden era of a certain type of industry dining where you could drop into so many small towns or second tier towns or third, fourth, first tier towns and be guaranteed to get some sort of independent, really great meal. And there is restaurants everywhere and things like that. But I think how we think of restaurants and the restaurant experience is going to be changed for the foreseeable future. And I've seen with some of your offerings of things like um, the pasta boxes at home or a three course menu at home, but you're, so you're still getting the Rolf and daughter or folk experience, but it's just done differently. What are your thoughts on the future of a restaurant experience and it's shifting reality of how people can uh, enjoy it? <laughs> Um, you know, that's the question that we're all asking ourselves every day. Uh, and I don't exactly know what the answer is. Um, I think it's a lot of all of the above. Um, and I think the answer is going to be unique to each specific restaurant and how it evolves. You know, the beauty of, of what it, of this golden age of restaurants has been how unique an individual like each scene is, yeah. restaurant is, right? And so um, the evolution is going to be very specific to each business. As, you know, there, there are going to be a lot of different ideas and approaches to, to how to um, adapt. And so I think, you know, specifically for, for our small universe, I think it's going to be more of what we're doing. It's it's definitely going to be focusing on um, being a conduit and a channel for supporting small agriculture um, and helping farmers in any way possible. I think um, you know these the meal kit idea where we're getting you to invest in in a little bit of the process of cooking. You know, be it just cooking a noodle and and, and glazing it and interacting with you know, our instructions that we've given you so you can recreate a classic dish from our restaurant to your home. I think that's going to continue. Um, I think, you know, for us, the um, curbside delivery model has has been working well. Um, I don't you know, well, it's not really the right word, but it's sure. Um, and, and we'll continue to do that. And I... I you know, I, I'm not, I don't a hundred percent know. Um, and we're all talking about it. You know, all of our friends in New York and in Oregon and, um, in Chicago that we talk to a lot about what each other's going through are all kind of sussing this out and waiting to see. 
uh, what's going to happen. Yeah, I think the idea of pantries or charity arms that have happened now with people feeding people on the front lines or food banks or donations, I I think that is going to be here to stay. 100%. Which is crazy in some ways because then it's even more responsibility on these restaurants to be even more flexible and diverse in their offerings. But I think now that people have realized that restaurants are so much more to communities than just a place you go out to eat, um, that hopefully if they take on those extra responsibilities, they will get more support and maybe higher wages and an understanding of why things cost the way they do. Right. That's a hundred percent. Right. Um, that's one thing we didn't talk about is, you know, doing the first responder meals. Yes. Well, that was coming next. So, but yes, but you have, you know, you have been, been um, digging into the community and helping support the community. How have you been supporting and, and how do you see that continuing as, as this stretches out? It, it, it actually came from uh, some of our regulars who are in the restaurants just week in and week out. Uh, reached out to us to see how they could help. Um, and so we, you know, did that and contacted hospitals and worked with the logistics teams to figure out, you know, the best delivery times, meal sizes, how things needed to be packed. And we're able to, um, you know, we're not doing thousands of meals, but we're able to do several hundred meals a, a week. Um, and, you know, are going to continue to do this for as long as we can. And one of the things that's been really great is as soon as we posted that we were doing it, we had more people reach out to us wanting to sponsor us individually. Um, and so, you know, the value and ethics of, of this thing is the same as everything else where, you know, we're not making money in the way that, you know, you normally do transactionally with food, by marking it up, we're we're just covering the labor, and we're covering the cost of the local ingredients, and that's it, you know. And so it's really straightforward and simple. It creates extra hours every week in the kitchen, um, and allows us hopefully to like, you know, put a smile on the face of someone who's, you know, on the front lines with COVID. And I actually like I have a really good friend who lives in Brooklyn, who's a nurse anesthetist who's been working the front lines there. Um, and, and, you know, we talk every week and, you know, I think about him when we're doing this, like I can't send him lunch, but I can send his, you know, peers here. Well, you know, I think that being able to uh, help and support and provide to people is one of the underlying reasons that a lot of people get into the restaurant industry in the first place. Yeah. Because it's, it goes beyond it's not profit driven um, as we've seen over the years, because that's gotten tougher and tougher, but it is about community support and, and feeding those who need a good meal. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us. If people want to follow along with what you're doing, order some of your amazing uh, meat boxes that are coming out for the summer um, yep. or sign up for strawberries, tomatoes, snap peas, whatever else is coming out of the ground. Uh, or pick up some cool merch from across the country, where can they go? You can hit us up at either rolfanddaughters.com or goodassfolk.com um, and, and 
order or engage with us or find us on Instagram, DM us, we'll respond. We'll help you get to where you need to go. Awesome. Well, Philip, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Hope to visit Nashville again really soon. We miss, we miss it over there. Thank you, Aaron. It was a, it was a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, we have another song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Brian Kenny, a board member at HRN and director of collections and archives for Hearst Western Properties. Hearst Ranch Beef is 100% grass-fed, free-range, and always antibiotic-free. I recently recorded an episode of HRN on tour with the division manager for Hearst Ranch, Roland Camacho. We talked about our company's values. When I was doing your job, Mm -hmm. the question I was asked the most was... Why aren't you organic? <laughs> Tell us how organic works and what the scale of our uh, of our operation is. For sure. It doesn't necessarily scale to us. Let's put it that way. Um, if we were to want to certify the ranch or, or certify the beef cattle that we're selling, every place that they touch would have to be certified. What it comes down for us is we realize that it just the term organic 
doesn't say anything about the way the animal was raised. It doesn't say anything about what the animal was given to eat. It only tells you what was not in it. Mm -hmm. So the animal technically could be confined. Right. The animal technically could be fed a hundred percent grain diet. Probably the biggest difference between us and what we're trying to do. Like we want to tell people these cattle were allowed to engage in their natural behaviors their entire life. We can tell you everything about the way this animal was raised. So we know what was in it all the time. We know what wasn't in it all the time. And those things aren't covered with the right. organic claim. And that's why we're not overly concerned with, with, with getting it. It doesn't seem to hold as much water as one might think. Our beef will be available in Whole Foods Market's 44 California locations from San Luis Obispo to San Diego throughout the summer beginning June 1st. You can also order our 100% grass-fed beef online as part of a partnership with Larder Meat Company. Visit hearstranch.com. That's H-E-A-R-S-T ranch.com. We're we're light asylum. We're light you asylum. Invited light us asylum. Welcome. Welcome. This is our. F- Thank pr- you. We're gonna. Call, I know it's not fall technically, but this is our first fall show. Uh, it's the yeah, post. Yeah, it's like post fall. Labor Day. End of summer. End of summer. End of summer. So uh, why don't you introduce yourselves? Um, I'm Shannon. And I'm F. Bruno. Shannon F. Shannon Bruno. F. Bruno C. Bruno C. <laughs> um, welcome to the show. Um, for Thanks. the listeners who are not aware of your magic, uh, why don't you give them a little bit of background on who you are? Or how you came to be? Um, Bruno and I, we met while um, touring with some friends in a band uh, called Bunny Rabbit. And that was about, how long has it been now? Through, uh, four years ago, 2007. Yeah. And uh, we bonded while we were stuck in a minivan together. Um, Bruno was uh, performing uh, in Bunny Rabbit playing guitar. And also doing like his solo project, uh, Bruno and the Dreamies, and I was uh, with a friend um, invited to come along after um, having already been on tour a bunch. But uh, ah, get back in the van and uh, w- as the pumps and derriere, and um, <laughs> just a funny little booty based thing. Um, yeah. So anyway, we uh, bonded over um, music interests and I was like we should play some music together sometime it took a couple of years um, for me to not be touring with Chick 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 and now I'm just focused on this and Bruno joined the band like two years after uh, I had started it Um, and we've never looked back and this is the perfect permanent incantation of Light Asylum. It's a magic-themed episode today. <laughs> All incantations. Um, so I know that you have a big, uh, Shannon, large background in Book Museum. We, we talked how I saw you sing at that magical celebration TV on the radio Union Hall show. The hottest show ever. Yeah, in the back Union of the show. Pool? Yeah. Union Pool? Union Pool. Union Pool, yeah. Union Hall, yeah. which is where you played on Friday. So too many unions. <laughs> um, but uh, Bruno, what is your, are you, have you from here or where are you from? Um, I grew up in New Jersey, not too far away, yeah. Awesome. Dirty Jers. Dirty Jers. Where, where do you represent? The North, the Middle, the South? Uh, North. North? Yeah. Are you a Flyers fan? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is no. Are you a Devil? Are you a Devils fan? Oh, the New Jersey Devils? No, oh, I'm not a hockey fan, sorry. Just say, just say you're a Flyers fan. <laughs> I'm a Flyers fan. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Awesome. We amazing. just lost some fans. Yeah. Um, you know, why don't we get a, get a song in? So or you, gain some fans. Or gain some fans, because I know that uh, we want to get you guys alive, and they have if a great in setup in here. New York. We, conti- we continue to like 
redefine what type of live setup we can we can do in here. Um, now I know we can do Re- a bunch really, of synths. Really pushing the boundaries. Yeah. It's a really uh, nice shack you guys got here. Yeah, this is yeah. It's shipping containers actually. Way, if if these two shipping containers were my apartment, I wouldn't be mad. No, I wouldn't either. It'd be yours, and it's the future. I'd put a little shower over here. Nice. Then the, the water would be heated from the roof. I'm a really good subletter if you should ever need a yeah, subletter. Uh, we can just build like bunk beds Looking like right for into the someone walls. to fill out one half a shipping container in <laughs> Brooklyn, obviously. Yeah. Um, $1,000 a month utilities not included. What? <laughs> no. I'm actually looking for a permanent place to live, so if there's anybody out there who knows of a good place and they're just not tw- psycho yeah. and you they want to share what's space. What's the Twitter? <laughs> they can tweet at you. Um, Light Asylum. All right. Twitter Light. <laughs> and she'll probably be on the road, which is a benefit. Yeah, um, but I might need a subletter. Depends on how cheap it is. If it's yeah. really cheap, then I won't need to get a subletter. Do you do uh, early morning breakfast and serenading? Sure, <laughs> for a, a decrease in rent. Awesome. Yeah. I, I do that, breakfast yeah, do and serenading. That. All right, so what's the first song we're playing? Uh, Dark Allies. Dark oh. Allies, yeah. All right, Dark Allies, Light Asylum Live on Snacky Tunes.
Gets a little warm in the shipping container. I uh, smell funny. Uh, that was great. What was that song called? Dark Allies. Um, so you just said that you were looking for a subletter. Where did you come back from? Um, we spent the summer... Hi, if you just started listening, we're Light Asylum. Oh, yeah, this is Light Asylum, sorry. From Brooklyn, New York. I'm going to take your jobs. Yeah, take my... Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It All pay? I do is just eat pizza, really. Yeah. <laughs> Does it pay? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, um, you know, just in case this doesn't work out. But yeah. I, I think it's going to work out. I think it's going to work um, out. Okay. Um, we just came back from spending the summer in uh, Berlin, actually. Ooh. Ooh. Hi to all of our Berlin peeps. Spreading Miss the, the hell out of you. How is Berlin? I know, it's amazing. I know everyone goes there. Is it as cheap as they say it is? Um, you know, like everywhere. It's amazing that it's like affecting even the um, other countries. But the the the... It's just like homogenized everywhere, and there's gentrification everywhere. Yes. What was the? Uh, it's what world did, domination. What did you eat when you were out there? Uh, lots of margarita pizzas and kebabs. Shawarma. Lots of shawarma. Yeah. There, there's something about schnitzel. The, Actually, they're called Bratwurst? doners or yeah, donuts. There's yeah. something about like the European uh, doner that just somehow I don't understand how they can't recreate it in in the states. <laughs> I don't know what it is. There, there are good doner kebabs here in the states. Not yeah. like. Yeah, I think it's better there. There's like the bread is different. The yeah. bread's different. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, there's probably good ones here, but it's probably like to get like a European donor. It's like ten dollars as opposed to the you know it's like the full, two euros. the two euros out there. Like the massive. There's something yeah. about that that European white sauce. It's better than the American white sauce. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, for I think for when I was there for New Year's in Berlin, like I had donor for like our New Year's Eve dinner just because it was so it was so delicious. How many, uh, <laughs> what's, what's, what's the largest German beer you had when you were there? How many ounces? 64, 72? Well, not this time, but um, other times traveling across um, Germany, um, going to the famous Brauhaus. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. The one in Williamsburg wants to be, but like seriously, um, I don't know. Like, what is that? A liter. <laughs> no, it's more. It's 750. Okay, yeah. so it's like, like a, a wine two liter beer, it's like as big as your two head. Two liter beer? It's like as big as your head so and a heavy. Up. It's like a workout. Like, yeah, but is it like a two hand lift type yeah, situation? Yeah, for real. Seriously, that'd be so the double beer mug. Handle. How embarrassing would it be if like you couldn't lift your <laughs> beer mug? You're like, yeah. I was like, yeah, oh yeah, sure. And you're like, I. That's why I have straws. straw. Oh yeah, you drink drink your beer with a straw. Who drinks beer with a straw? <laughs> well, when you can't lift a two liter beer sign, you don't have any options. Uh, so, but Berlin was cool. Did, did you guys go anywhere else in Europe? Yeah, we actually um, got to play. I booked a show with uh, some some heroes of ours. Actually, Bruno and I bonded over this band when I asked him if he knew who the Clan of Zymox was. He was like, I've never met anybody who knew who the Clan of Zymox was. <laughs> and I was like, cool, we'll play with them someday. And so we did. In Leipzig, we opened for them. What's like how was, yeah, how was meeting heroes? heroes? It's amazing. They're super sweet. Like, awesome people couldn't believe it. You so know? you would recommend meeting your heroes? Um, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I I would say it's a. I've, we ha- we were lucky. Yeah, I'd definitely say that it's a. I feel like it's like a pretty solid toss up, usually in like the negative direction about meeting your meeting your heroes. Uh, 
when you realize the real people with their own, you know, different their, their own issues. <laughs> yeah, flaws. And stuff. <laughs> that's that's gonna name my autobiography: Heroes with Issues. Oh, well, that's actually kind of Zymox is perfect. Heroes with issues. All right, so why don't we uh, why don't we get another song? Let's, let's rip another fat one. Yeah, we'll get the uh, we'll, heroes. What, what's the name? Of, what's the name of this one? Um, a certain person. A certain person. Okay, so uh, here we go. Light Asylum Live here on Snaggy Tunes. We came in search of secrets of immortality to be like God, to be like God. And here, 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 more of us, more of us, more human beings. This is the end of our adventure. 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 This is the end of our adventure.
Woo. Woo. Amazing. Yeah, sorry, that one was a little rough, you guys. No. <laughs> I mean, in the beginning. You know, we say, in, in the end, it was all. As, as we, we say the same thing about cooking. It's like, uh, just don't. Or life. Yeah, or life. Don't tell anybody don't until tell somebody them. says something. <laughs> yeah, until, until somebody says something, just be like, yep. If you yeah. see something, say something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see something so, which of these, which of the songs you've played are going to be coming out on the new record next year? Um, well, I think, you know, a certain person originally to us was like the single. Right. And then somehow, in this dark day and age, Dark Allies ended up stealing the light. So, um, magic. 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 Again. <laughs> dark magic. Stealing the light. Um, but so, yeah, I think we'll have to put a certain person on the full length. Kind of like, you know, TV on the radio and satellite, you know. It came out on the EP, and then uh, it came out on the full length once they dropped that. They did. They just did an awesome set of Virgin Free Fest. Cool, cool. We wanted to come, but we were playing show ourselves that day with, uh, we, uh, with Flying Lotus and Gang Gang Dance at Le Poison Rouge. That was Thursday, right? Yeah. And uh, it was an NYU students only thing. We were there. Thing. We were oh, there. Cool. Yeah. Cool. We, uh, we're NYU students. Yep. Oh. No. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> Freshman class. Uh, can't wait. 2015. Yeah. Yeah, what's up? What's up? <laughs> can't, yeah. can't wait to turn 21. If anybody wants f- to, yeah. I'll get some wings on my uh, dorm eating points. <laughs> I'm going to get a fake ID at Washington Square. <laughs> oh, my God. We're going out of McDougal and 3rd to get my moods, and then we're getting Michigan IDs. <laughs> uh, you know, that was the first time I'd ever seen Gang Gang Dance. I, I mean, amazing. heard that. Amazing. Amazing. So, such really a good family. Really. Love them. Then the, uh, the guy, the positive vibes guy. Yeah. Taco. Totally. Taco. Yeah. Taco. Is that is, is he a permanent part of the live yes. show? Yes. yes, yes, that's what he does. He just spreads good vibes. I mean, this is gonna say, but uh, when we were young and into ska and saw the Mighty Mighty Boston's, it's like the Ben Carr of the like freak, the Ben freak Carr, of, the Ben Carr of the art world. <laughs> uh, that's a deep reference. I was a more of a, uh, <laughs> a yeah, I was a yeah, I was like a a different kind of ska fan. I think I, I you know, would I you was, like a second wave? Uh, no, the first, first wave, wave actually. I was, who who I was, was in second? I it was, I feel like it went like right from like first to third, and like second wave was. Well, this uh, second wave was probably like madness. Or madness. Like, it was yeah. the '80s. What? First, oh, well, the first wave. I'm okay. Second wave. You, yeah. First um, first wave was like uh, Scatolites. Like them? Yeah, yeah, like straight up from Jamaica. From Jamaica. Yeah. And the second straight wave up. was like the, the English. The yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's cl- where I was I mean, on the second you, wave. You could put yeah, the clash. For sure. I mean, I wouldn't put the clash in there. But they had influences. They had influences that was the second wave. so great then, about England that they were like heavily influenced, like from the Slits, you know, and yeah. the Clash and, and then all fast, the Selector, all those bands. <laughs> fast forward the third wave when I'm dancing up to Less Than Jake, getting fired <laughs> on my toilet paper gun. So what is gang gang dance has like... M- they're not straight up ska influences, but they're heavily influenced yeah. by dub and stuff. Yeah, I mean, and they, and they brought what, the dance. I mean, what is dubstep? Sixth wave, <laughs> right? It's, it's, not actually, a wave. it's actually 18th dimension. Oh uh, so okay. you have the record coming out in spring. We're going to do it backwards because you told me backwards. Okay. November, you have the uh, new single coming out. Or yeah, shallow tears. We just re-recorded it, and it sounds amazing. Um, Why the re-record? Um, you know, just to give the fans something new. And the first one is straight up a demo we recorded in a space as big as your radio. Yeah. Loft. Loft. Yeah. <laughs> Loft apartment. Like, imagine your bathroom in... Um, the Boar's Head? Bushwick. 
Yeah. Or boar, the boar's head. Right and, then you have, and then you have something special coming out in October. October is the Mexican 100th release from the record label, Mexican Summer, um, which is a... By the way, shout out to Mexican Summer and to Jess for setting this up. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Jess. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Mexican <laughs> Summer. I can't believe they've already had 100. Woo! Amazing. Congratulations. That'll be out in October, and that's a split um, produced on both sides by uh, Ford and Low Patton, formerly known as uh, Games. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so one track with myself, truly, and then uh, also a lovely lady from a band of the same name, Tamarin. Amazing. Mm. Um, that so comes out in October. We're going to get you to play one more song. Okay. We want to say thank you for coming on. Thanks for having to us. To Light Asylum. Um, do you want to give us all the like the very special, like where to find, where to email, where to follow? Oh, cool. You can just, uh, if you have any inquiries about booking, you can go to our man, Avery McTaggart, at the agency group in the U.S. We're still looking for a European booking agent. If you just want to write us and tell us how much you love or hate us, you can write us at Light Asylum. Music at gmail.com. Don't, don't, don't send don't hate, hate mail. Don't hate <laughs> Come on. Because we don't have time for it. Really. Honestly, life is short and yeah. we don't have time for it. And we'll just like not even open it. Yeah. Um, no, I'm kidding. What if they um, count, what if they put the subject line like we love you and you open it up and it's, it's like, like fuck you. Fuck. I mean, oh, can I say it? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's the internet. You got eight <laughs> seconds to delete that. Um, and then if you want to just like see a discog, once we, you know, you can go to mexicansummer.com. And you can also go to Academy Records or other music to buy physical copies of our um, I don't EP on vinyl. You don't understand? Oh, okay, vinyl. Okay. Who, took the, who took the We photo have CDs on the, on the with a EP really cover. Um, our friend Matthew Heiss uh, shot that, and he's a really Great amazing uh, fashion photographer, Matthew Heiss. And the next show? Uh, the next show is. Swarthmore College. Swarthmore College in Pittsburgh. That's the Earthworms. Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, earthworms. How do, you, how do you know that? Because What's earthworms? You rearrange the letters, earthworms. That's their school. Yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah. Wow. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, <laughs> and if you have an apartment for Shannon, you can hit him up on Twitter at Lightest Lineup. Uh, all right. So and I don't want to pay um, that that booking fee, whatever yeah. that crap is. Yeah. Um, and I want to stay in Williamsburg because I've been here for ten years, um, and. I think I just deserve to be able to stay. I would agree. What's the name of the last song you're playing? A certain... Oh, wait. Sorry. End of Days. End of Days. Okay. All right. Uh, well, thank you for listening to Snacky Tunes. We have VHS or Beta uh, DJing next week, and we'll be back with more episodes. Here we go uh, with Light Asylum. Take it out.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.